You are listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled Great News of Megajoy, recorded on December 17, 2017. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. Um, I love Christmas time. I love getting together with family. I love all the friends. I love everything about Christmas. There's a, about a week to go before the big day, the big Christmas day, but I tell you, I'm enjoying every bit now. And kids, if you're listening, trust me, you want to enjoy every bit now. Because I remember being a kid, I was so excited about Christmas, and when it came, it was so fun, and then boom, it was over. I was like, what happened to my Christmas? <laughs> But so enjoy every bit now, all the lights, all the fun, and especially all the people, all the smiles. And on that note, um, th- this is the time of year where we're beginning to sign up for our community groups for next year. And I get excited about community groups because they help us complete the mission we have here for Harvest Community Church. You see, to be a Christian, to be a Christian, well, I think the church is over time, not meaning to, have taught people the wrong thing about what it means to be a Christian. We think it has to do with education. You come to a church building, you hear a message, you go to Sunday school class, and you're taught the Bible, and all that's good stuff, and and you think, well, that's what it means to be a Christian, and you end up with people who say, hey, I don't go to church, but I listen to David Jeremiah on the radio, and that's the same thing. Listening to David Jeremiah on the radio or the television is a good thing, but it's not the same as church. Did you know in the Bible there are, in the New Testament, 23 reciprocal commands. That's 23 one another's. Love one another, admonish one another, rebuke one another, encourage one another. You can't do one another's without community. The church, you can't grow as a disciple of Christ without having a multifaceted approach. Yes, it's educational. We must learn the word of God. But it's also obedience, learning to obey the word of God. It's serving, learning to serve. And it's also learning to be part of a church family. And that's why we have community groups. Americans don't don't do local community well. We kind of go to affinity groups. You know, you go out with your bowling league. You go out with your fellow students. But there's not a real sense of community. And in fact, I think it's hard to build community as an American. And I love America. It's not a put down, but it's true. You know, it's, it always seems like we're scheduling everything. We're so busy. We're going here and there. I never even have time for the neighbor I want to have time for. And, and, and so what are we going to do here? We want to actually build community by scheduling it into community groups. Um, so these community groups, they meet on different nights, in different places, in different people's homes. And if you already go to them, you know that. I guess I'm really talking to the people who are part of Harvest who have yet to start going to a community group. Um, la- I, I, I ran a community group for about three years in my home. I shouldn't say I ran, I hosted. Um, and all the people would come over. My wife kind of ran it because she put all the food out and everything. And, um, and people brought food. And, and we would have community group in my home. And that was for about um, three years, I think we did that. Well, last year, at about this time, I stopped doing community group. And I haven't hosted one since. I've been to other people's, but I haven't hosted one. If you're new to Harvest, uh, it's, it's because, largely because um, there was, I walked into uh, that hard door of depression. Things kind of went south on me. And uh, thank God that's over. 
But I'll tell you something I've noticed since then. Uh, when I come to, to church to worship with the family of God, the people who are in my community group, it's just the warmest connection. True friends, true family. And when I was hurting the most, it was often the people in my community group who already had the relationship with me, who could be there to help me out, to cut my grass, <laughs> to make sure I had what I needed. Um, uh, that doesn't happen overnight. You've got, to, you, you've got to put in the time with the people. And putting in the time, getting to know the family of God is part of being a Christian. John 13, 35 says, by this all men will know that you're my disciples, that you have love for one another. Well, you can't have love for other Christians unless you're with other Christians, unless you take time to get to know them. It's funny, um, more than once in my community group, I've had someone come up and uh, they'll come to community group and maybe their second visit they'll say, why do we take so much time eating and talking? Why aren't we studying the Bible? We need to study the Bible. <laughs> it's like, okay, you're very uptight. Who taught you to be that way? You know, we're wasting time. We're eating, we're laughing, we're talking. We could be in Bible study. That person needs community group more than anybody. There's a person who says, what's eating and laughing and talking together have to do with being a Christian? <laughs> we, see, we've lost the community aspect. Yeah, community groups, there's food, there's talking, there's laughing, there's getting to know one another. Sometimes there's crying with one another, there's praying with one another. And yes, there's Bible reading with one another. And those one another's are a vital part of your walk with Christ. You, you, you can't grow in Christ without community. So I'm hoping if you've never signed up for a community group, you'll, you'll, you'll take that brave step and just go visit one. And, and, and if you say, well, you know what? I kind of like to be hospitable myself. I'd like to have one in my own home. Maybe after this coming semester, you could talk to your campus pastor in the spring. You could start one on your own. We'll talk to you about that. But I'm excited about it, but I'm also excited about the Christmas story. So let's, let's jump right into that. We're gonna look at Luke chapter two, verse one to 20. This is the first Christmas story I ever heard from the Bible. And you know who preached it to me? Linus Van Pelt. You remember Linus Van Pelt? Lucy's brother, the one with the blanket? Remember the, the Charlie Brown Christmas special? I loved the Charlie Brown Christmas special as a kid. And I didn't even know what he was saying, but I knew that must be a good thing when he comes out and says, I'll tell you what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. He walks into the spotlight and he goes, behold, there was a shepherd. I didn't know what he was talking about, but that sounded good to me. And that's the section of text we're in now. So Luke 2, 1 to 20. You ready? I'm going to read and we'll, we'll just try to, what we want to try to do is go back in time. When you read a narrative portion of scripture like this, what you got to try to do is imagine you're, you're wearing their clothes, the old timey robes and whatever they wore, and their sandals, and you're back in the desert time and you're seeing it through their eyes. So let's see if we can do that together. It says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus to all the world should be registered, or a census. Registers, leaders always want to count their people. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. Um, I don't know if you have a hometown, but most likely your family didn't just all come from one town. Maybe they did, but you can only go back so many generations. Well, not so with Israel. Israel, believe it or not, there's divided into tribes, and you know your tribe. You actually come from a region of that country uh, from way back in the book of Joshua. 
And, and you can read that if you don't know about that. So, so you had to go back to where your people are from. And, and it says here that Joseph also went up from Galilee. Galilee is in the north part of Israel. It's the redneck part of Israel. Galilee is where the Gentiles were. It was ruffians and, and, and blue-collar workers and fishermen. It's a flannel where if you, if you had to go to a tractor supply, you weren't going to find it way down in hoity-toity Jerusalem where all the rich poor people lived. You're going to find it up in Galilee. And that's where Joseph and Mary were living. Um, they were from a town called Nazareth. And their family could have lived in Nazareth for, for centuries. We don't know how long. But back in the beginning, since they were in the house of Judah, they came from down south, and their particular town was Bethlehem. So they came from Nazareth to Judea, that's the area around Jerusalem, to the city of David, that's Bethlehem, and there it is, Bethlehem. Bethlehem, um, this, will, uh, this, this has nothing to do with the sermon necessarily, but it is in the Bible, so um, I'll, I'll teach you a little bit of Hebrew, because that's all I know is a little bit of Hebrew. Ready? Bethlehem is from two Hebrew words, Beth, Beth, which means house, and Lachem. Can you say that? Lahem. You can't say lahem because that's not Hebrew. You've got to get the, 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 the stuff in the back of the throat moving and go lahem. Beth lahem. It means the house of bread. So they went to Beth lahem, the house of bread, because Joseph was of the house. That means family here. House is often family. Um, the family and lineage of David. And that was David's town. And to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. This would be a very familiar journey for them. This would be one they made several times a year. Why? Because they're Jews. And Jews, um, when they have religious, like we have religious festivals, right? As American Christians, we have Easter and we have, um, I guess Thanksgiving is kind of religious because we're giving thanks to God. And then there's Christmas. Now, you may go out of town on those days to visit loved ones or friends, but we don't all have certain cities that we go to for Christmas. I mean, what if the Christmas festival was always held in, say, Omaha, someplace none of us have ever been, in Nebraska. And that was a Christmas city. Well, what would happen is all the devout Christians would all travel to Omaha once a year, which would be insane, by the way. Well, that's actually what the Jews would do. During their biggest festivals, like Passover and other festivals, they would travel to Jerusalem. And they'd go... uh, they just fill up the city. Now, Joseph and Mary, no doubt, would have done this many times. Every single year, they made this trip, 60 to 80 miles. And they would go in caravans. I know in the, in the Christmas movies, you always see the holy family going alone over on a donkey, and they're alone, and it's night, and there's a star overhead, and Mary's on a donkey going, oh! And, but that's nothing close to what their experience was like. It would take a few days. They wouldn't travel alone because highwaymen would get them. Plus, they don't have to travel alone. Their entire family is traveling with them because they all have to return for the census. So they, they, they'd be traveling in a group. It would take them a few days. It was probably a really good time because you're not working. You're just traveling and talking and laughing and catching up, and off, off they go. So um, the, we also have um, this, this idea from really what's become the Western mythology of the Christmas story. Here, This is the part where I'm going to mess up your manger scenes and your nativity scenes, but not because I don't, I mean, you can keep them, not because they're not cool, but um, I just can't not tell you the truth here. We get this view that they went into Bethlehem and it was oh so crowded because everyone was coming back for the census and the town was just too full. So they pulled into the 
Bethlehem Holiday Inn, and no, there's no vacancies. So they went to the Bethlehem Quality Inn, and oh, there's no vacancies. So they went to the Bethlehem Motel 6, and oh, there's no vacancies. So they even went to the, to the Hotel Notel, where the bad people go, and, and oh, there's no room. But eventually, a nice innkeeper came out and said, we have no room, but I have a stable in the back. And the holy couple went all by themselves. Listen, that's not in the Bible. And it's just so unlikely that their experience was anything like that. They were traveling with family. Bethlehem was never so... Bethlehem always got crowded at festival time, at least. And this is census time because it's right across the way from Jerusalem. So all the family came back to the Passover festival. Where do you think they stayed? Remember when Jesus would come to these festivals? According to the book of John, he often stayed in Bethany, which was nearby also. Because that's where Lazarus, I think, was, and, and Martha and Mary. And I think they all stayed there. And then they'd walk across to Jerusalem. So Bethlehem's used to being full of pilgrims and travelers. It's not that unusual. They more likely stayed in the home of a family. Um, one of their many... Remember Elizabeth from, from the first chapter of Luke? She got pregnant with John the Baptist. And Mary was so excited she came down to see her. Remember that? This would be the same journey. Because Elizabeth, we don't know what town she lived in, but the Bible says she lived in the hill country of Judea. Well, the hill country of Judea is where Bethlehem is. So it could have been Bethlehem. It could have been near Bethlehem. Um, there's no way Elizabeth is going to know her, her cousin is having a baby in a barn with nobody around but Joseph to help. It's just, it's just not realistic, especially since they came down in a caravan. In, in all likelihood, they came to a house. Now, now, houses in the Middle East back then, in the, in the ancient Near East, they were often just one, think of one big square room. And that was often your whole house. That's where you ate, and it's where you slept. Right? And they all, often had a flat roof, almost always had a flat roof. And the roof was part of the house. They would uh, put a stair up next to your house and you could walk up from the outside onto the roof and you would use that. You would use it for meeting space. You might eat on top of the roof. You might sleep on top of the roof on certain times. You could do certain household chores and take care of things on top of the roof. And once in a while, you might even put a smaller room on top of the roof. And that would be your guest room. And, and so this is probably the kind of home they came into. But these homes also had something else. They always, almost always, had an animal area. If you look in the archaeological digs, they, you'll see pictures of these houses. Google them. And they have an animal area because the people then brought their animals into their homes. Why? Because almost everyone owned animals. Even poor people and middle class people, I guess you'd call them, they owned animals because they would need them for milk and they'd need them for food because they didn't have a grocery store. And so they would have their own animals. And you don't leave them out because predators can get them and thieves can get them or they could wander away. So you'd bring them into your home and there was normally an area with a step kind of like this and a little area where the animals would be maybe for the evening or and um, in, in fact, Eastern Christians say Jesus was born in a cave or was laid in a cave, which would fit because sometimes, especially in the area of Bethlehem, there were a lot of caves and you could build your house right up against a cave and put a little step there and then you'd make the cave the animal area. So, so that, would, that would work too. Um, so anyway, with that in mind, let's, let's read the birth story from verse 6 and 7. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Literally, in the original language, it's while they were there, the days were completed or fulfilled for them to give birth. So in, in the normal Western Christmas story, Mary's um, 
wandering through the desert with Joseph alone at night, and she's in labor. And she's having her labor pains. And her husband wisely puts her on the back of a donkey. (laughs) If you're a young man here, and your car's not working, and your wife is in labor, don't put her on a beast of burden, okay? I, I think that could end the marriage right there. But that's the story. It's, it, it, it's, um, the Bible doesn't give any clue that that's the way it was. The Bible says while they were there in Bethlehem, the days were fulfilled. They could have been in Bethlehem three weeks before she gave birth. And so she'd be in a home, and there would be women around most likely she got married. he was born in what we would call a living room, the main room of a house. And there, of course, are women around. They always come around for a birth. The men are kicked out of the house. That's the way it works. And by the way, that's the way men want it to work. Men don't say, I want to be in there and watch the birth. They're like, get me out of here. And the women are in there, and they help uh, give the birth. So the t- days will come for her to give birth. It says she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in swaddling clothes. There's really nothing to make of swaddling clothes. They're just strips of linen, and that's how they wrapped babies back then. And she put him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And this is where you say, well, see, Pastor Mike, there was an inn, and that means there had to have been an innkeeper. This is the word that causes the trouble. The word is kataluma in Greek. It means guest room. In fact, later on in Luke, in Luke's gospel, Jesus asks for a place to eat his Passover. He says, go talk to this guy. And he says, tell him I need to use his cataluma, not his inn, his room. The word can mean inn, but it also normally means guest room. And and so it should be translated guest room. There was no place for them in the guest room. Why would that be? You'd think if a woman has a baby, let the baby have the guest room. That's because we're thinking like Americans where everyone has their own room. That was unknown. It's still unknown in many cultures, but it's definitely unknown in the ancient Near East. The way you slept was all, all, your whole family slept almost always in one room. And if you had a spare room and you had guests over, whole families, you would give the biggest number of people that room and they'd all sleep at one time. You know how we have kids that have these night frights and they're frightened and you've got to run in and help them and give them a night light. That problem in many societies is unknown because kids always sleep right where the parents sleep. They all, uh, most people in these houses would all sleep at the same place that they would call their living room. So it's understandable if you have a baby, if the guest room, if this home had a guest room on the top, it was already filled. Moisha and his family had come in, and they were all up there. So you, you say, so well, where can we make a quiet place for the baby where those people aren't going to disturb the baby? And the answer is a manger, all right? Um, the, the, the manger. The focus of, chap- of verse 7, by the way, is not the inn or the guest room, In this case, it was the manger. Um, The manger is the reoccurring theme because it becomes a sign. Now, what's a manger? A manger is not a creche or or a wooden stall with a bunch of hay in it. I was driving to church, and uh, I saw this sign. And in the sign, it said, Keep Christ in Christmas. It had Jesus in this wooden thing with hay everywhere, the newborn Jesus. And he's going like this. And, which is funny to me, because newborns, I've seen newborns, very few of them go, ah, and they smile at you like that. They're kind of all squishy and squashed, but that's Jesus, I guess, and he's glowing. I mean, light is leaping off of Jesus. Just like, if your baby's glowing, you're living in Chernobyl, all right? But <laughs> Jesus was glowing, ah, and, and he's laying in this hay, 
And I think, and he doesn't even have a shirt on. I think, who puts a baby? That's going to be itchy in hay. And there's no reason to think he was laying in a bunch of hay. What a manger is, is a food bowl. It, 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 they're often made of stone and often made of pottery. At least that's what we think they were made of because that's what survived in archaeology the last 2,000 years. Maybe some of them were wood. I don't know. But they were normally, we, when they find them, they're like a trough made of, uh, out of stone or pottery. And it's what the goat would eat out of. <laughs> so, so what they said is, let's get the animals out of here, most likely. And they cleaned it up for a baby. And they put some nice claws in there. And they laid the baby. That was its little cradle. That was his little cradle. And, and the manger here is the issue. Because the manger becomes the proof for the shepherds. And Luke directs us in this whole passage, really, not to where we normally go, the birth scene. He directs us and our attention to the shepherds. The most important part of this beginning of this chapter, in the middle of this chapter, is the shepherds and what happens on that hill. So let's jump in there now. Ready? Verse 8. And in the same region, excuse me, region, there were shepherds out in the field, and they were keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Have you got your sandals on? Are you going back in time? Think of a dark night, and you're out on a hill, and you're out on your hill with your buddies or, or your co-workers. Now, this is not a good job. If you are stuck on a hill with sheep at, say, 1 in the morning or 11 at night, you don't have a very good job. <laughs> The shepherds were not a well-paid group of, of, of people. And, and, and they were out there, and, and then this angel just goes, and he's there. The Bible says that the, the glory of the Lord shone round about him, and they were filled with great fear. It's one angel, just one angel, an angel of the Lord. So then it, let, let's go on. So you're seeing this in your mind, right? Okay, let's move on to verse 10. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. We'll come back to that. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. In a manger. Okay, so let's look at this scene. The angel chose to come visit the shepherds. I'm sure he didn't choose. God sent the angel to the shepherds. Why didn't God send the angel to the priests? Why didn't he send him to the high priest? Because this is a big announcement. As we know, it's the Son of God. Don't you think the priests should know? Don't you think the priests are like, why didn't you tell us? I mean, shepherds were not looked at as the... Um, okay, just think it through for a minute. Say you own a bunch of sheep. And you're a shepherd. And let's say you're rich at it. If you can get out of watching the sheep, you do. You pay other people. You make your kids do it. But let's make it worse. Who do you think gets the night shift? If you're on the night shift, you're not even on the high in the pecking order of shepherds. And what shepherds would do is they would smell like sheep. Because they hung out with sheep. And they dealt with these animals. And so at night... They had to watch animals so dumb they wouldn't run from predators, so helpless that they couldn't fight predators. So you had to sit out in the field with them. If you didn't have a pen because the flock was too large, you had to sit there with them and watch them. 
and make sure wolves didn't get them, thieves didn't get them, or they didn't just wander off a cliff. That was their job. Why did the angel choose these? Why didn't he choose the great merchants or the teachers or the fishermen? He chose shepherds on a night shift. Did Joseph and Mary know these shepherds? We have no reason to think they did. Heck, Joseph and Mary are from Nazareth. These are Bethlehem shepherds. But God chose them. So the angel causes them to fear, as you see there. He says, because when angels show up, they're scary. And, and they're all afraid, as you would be too. You'd be freaked out. You'd be looking at that like skin you were drinking wine out of and go, what is in this? And, um, but the, what the angel the, is not the big important part, it's his message. Did you know that the word angel simply means message in Greek? Angelos means message. Or messenger. So the messenger could be from heaven, like this one, or it could be your neighbor. You would still call it um, a messenger. And so the message is the important part. If God took the time to send an angel to you, shepherds, the important part isn't that you're scared to death of his shininess. The important part is what is about to come out of his mouth. Because he didn't come just to show off. He came to tell you something. So the message is what we want to focus on. The angel said this, and write this into your maps. Ready? The angel said, I bring you the great news, and in parentheses you should put gospel, of mega joy for the whole world. Mega joy. Why do I say that? Because that, <laughs> what he, when he says, he says, I bring you good news of great joy. In Greek, and I'm not an expert on Greek, all right? I don't know any more Greek than you do. Well, ma'am, I can read it a little bit, but I don't know much. But it, so we know what is said in the original language. Th- that word great news is this really cool sounding word that you'll like to say if you hear me say it. It's eonglitzomai, 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 uh, eongelion. It's one of those two. Why those are two forms of the same word. Say eongelion, eongelion. See, you want to say it, don't you? Go ahead. Eongelion. And what that word literally means is great news. It's the same word we translate into the word gospel. When we say the gospel, we preach the gospel, we're preaching the great news, or we're preaching the evangelion. And it's the same word from which we get the word evangelical, right? Or evangelism. It's, it's the English appropriation of evangelion. So he's saying, I'm bringing you the great news, the gospel of mega joy. That next word is Greek. The Greek, he takes the word joy or happiness and he adds the, 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 the modifier mega, and it means exactly what you think it means. Great, big, super big. I'm bringing you the great news of super big joy. That's what the angel said to him. That's what they'd have heard. I bring you great news of super big joy. I'm like, well, what is it? What is it? And it's for the whole world. It's for all the peoples. Wow. That's, that's quite a layup. What is the great news? The great news is the arrival of a person, a Savior. A Savior. How would that sound on, whoa, almost went down. How would that sound on their ears? Savior. Uh, I was thinking about this. I was thinking, you know, as Americans, we are trained, and I think this is a good part of being American. I'm not beating us up. But we're not trained to look at a Savior as a good thing. We're not trained at saying, I bring you great news. A man has come to make it all better. First, we'd have people saying, why not a woman? <laughs> why not a transgender? <laughs> why does that have to be a man? But in any case, we, we don't trust men. Americans, we know better. You, do not want, you don't want to rely on a man. 
You want to rely on a system that keeps men from oppressing us. That's the American. We have the three branches of government. Judicial, legislative, and executive. The whole point is you can't trust each other, so we need checks and balances. We say you can't trust one another. Read what you sign. Don't take his word for it. Don't put your faith in a human. Put your faith in the law. And we actually say, and then, and yourself. Trust that you can do it yourself if you're just given a, a shot to live in law, under law. And really, that's a good system, I think. It's a good innovation on American government. But I was wondering, if we were shepherds, how would we hear it? If someone says, I come to bring you great news of mega joy. A man is going to fix this. But that's what he said. That's what he said. A savior. A human king. That, by the way, is our message here at Harvest. We're not here to sell you a system or sell you anything. Um, we don't celebrate this is the way to do church. This is if you do Jesus this way, you'll have your best life now because the system works. We don't care about the system. We care about the man. We're here to say, whatever the problem, the answer is Jesus. Whatever the thing to be excited about, it comes from Jesus. Well, we're all about the man. Put your faith in the man, Jesus Christ. We're, we're, our, we're there with the angel. And in fact, that's our next uh, part of our map. Put your faith in a person, a savior. Not a human savior, well, a human, but not, not one around here today, which is Christ the Lord. Christ the Lord. Christ would be Messiah to them, the anointed one. He comes to be a savior, a Messiah, and he's God. Don't put your faith in the system of man. Don't put your faith in stocks and bonds. Don't put your faith in real estate. Don't put your faith in your great strength or your great intelligence or your great opportunity or your great philosophy or your great political party or your great political movement. Don't put your faith in science. Don't put your faith in learning, in knowledge, in talent, in luck, or anything else. Because they'll all disappoint you. Put your faith in a man. Which one? Jesus Christ. This is why the world really struggles with us. They think, well, you're supposed to have a great system. You guys don't look that impressive. And we say, we're not that impressive. What's impressive is the man we believe in, Jesus Christ. We're all about Jesus here. <laughs> well, anyway, to the, to the Messiah, or to the shepherds, this means Messiah. He says, Unto you is born a Savior, which is Christ. They mean Messiah. These shepherds are seeing an angel, so they're probably going to believe him because that will blow you away. And he's saying today the Messiah was born. Well, Jews have been waiting for a Messiah for thousands of years. And they want him to be a hero, like David, who was a hero against Goliath, like Moses, who was a hero against the Egyptians. They want a hero to throw off the Romans. So when he says, Christ the Lord, they would think Messiah. And then what's the sign What's the sign given? You're going to find him in a manger. That's the sign. That's why manger was back in verse 7. The baby was laid in a manger, in a goat food bowl. And that, that's the sign the angel said, and you will find the baby, the royal king of the universe, the savior in a goat food bowl. Who puts a savior in a goat food bowl? I mean, think about this. Think about if the president of the United States had a baby or his wife. You know, old Donald and his wife had a baby. Or one of their kids did. Do you, what do you think they're going to put that baby in? 
I guarantee he's going to have a silk onesie. His onesie will be better than your onesie. I bet they don't go to Walmart like we do. And, and that cradle, it's going to be better than your cradle. The sheets, better than your sheets. Because it's a wealthy child of an important man in the world. Where do kings put their babies? So when the God who made everything sends his son to be the king of all, of all things, they go in, they, you know, if you had a very important child, would you go in and go to your dog and say, get away from there, and you take the tin bowl and you, you throw the Purina dog chow out and you clean it up there, put the baby in there. No. But that's what God did. The most important man ever to walk this planet. First bed was a goat food bowl. I'm not sure what that says, but I do think it's hard to be proud of of the greatness of men when God sends his son into a goat food bowl. Anyway, I, I imagine sitting there, if I was on that hill, if we were on that hill, we would be thinking, why are you telling us? We're the we're the, we're the night crew. We smell like sheep. We're we we are we couldn't get a job at McDonald's, so they gave made us take this job. Why are you telling us? We're not important. We're not powerful or dignified or or educated. But before they could figure out why the angel was there, something really cool happened. Watch this, verse thirteen. And suddenly. There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. So there's one angel talking to him, and they're taking it in. This is freaky. And when he gets done talking, boom, he's got this mass choir behind him. Where'd they come from? And they're all lit up. And the Bible says they were doing two things, praising God and saying. It does not say that those angels were singing. Now, we, in our songs, always have them singing, right? Angels, we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plains. Because that's what angels do. They sing o'er the plains. <laughs> but this doesn't say they were singing. It said they were saying. Now, I think, I like to imagine they were singing. Because when a bunch of angels say something at one time, it's got to sound like music, right? And they might have been singing. And so I'm not going to make anything of it. I'm just pointing it out. But what was the message that they were singing or saying? Here it is. Glory to God in the highest... And on earth peace among those with whom God is pleased, or he is pleased. So there's, there's two parts to this. The first one is glory to God in the highest. So, so um, <laughs> the, 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 the first message of that first angel was unto you this day. In the city of David is born a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find him wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a maid or whatever. I shouldn't say whatever. They, <laughs> it's very important to the angel. But... We, we shepherds up on the hill are just trying to catch our breath, right? When that announcement is made, apparently, and it must be so because God made it happen, the only proper response is, an, is an, a, a multitude of angels that we don't know the number of shouting glory to God. This announcement on this hill to these few shepherds cannot go without a proper response. It'd be like going to the finest um, Broadway show and to see the finest performance, and when they're done, nobody claps. Oh no, it has to have a response equal to what we just saw. And apparently the response to this was heaven itself responding. 
Glory to God. It's just a beautiful sight. And what were they saying? Glory to God in the highest. Now, this, by the way, we learned to sing. When I was a new Christian, I was a new Christian as a grown-up, okay? So when you're a new Christian as a grown-up and you weren't indoctrinated in all these songs and stuff, people don't teach you what the songs mean. So I remember at Christmas we'd be singing, and I never knew what this meant. Glory, okay. I couldn't get through that without a respirator. Gloria. And then we'd sing. In eggshells day. Oh, what's that mean? I don't know. What is eggshells? It's not like that's a word we use all the time. Gee, mom, those eggs were excelsious. <laughs> I, I don't mean excelsious. I, you know, before I even knew what that word meant, another Christian in the church told me how to sing it. They're like, you're not singing that word right. And I said, well, how do you sing it? And she said, sing eggshells, eggshells. So I was in there singing away to Jesus. Oh, 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 I need to read CPR, Aurea. In eggshells, you know, Deo. Well, what that, what that means, <laughs> Gloria means glory. It's Latin. In, ex, in excelsius uh, means in the highest, and Deo means God. And that's what the angels were singing. Glory to God in the highest. Um, but second, they said, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Or peace, on, peace with men, good, goodwill to earth. Good, peace, <laughs> you know what it says. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. That's how we often say it. But translation is very good here. Peace with those among whom he is pleased. And, and what does that mean? Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Um, uh, is not God pleased with everyone? No. But he's pleased with some people. Yeah, why? Because of the Savior. So the Savior that's born causes some people to be pleased with him, but not all? Yeah. Well, if the Savior to be born causes some people to be pleased with him, was he pleased with those people before the Savior came? Well, in a sense, if the Savior doesn't come, no, he's not going to be pleased with anybody. How, how, how do you please God? <laughs> Let me answer that question before we get back to the angels, just so I don't leave that one hanging. According to the scripture, the only way any son or daughter of Adam, because of our sin, can please God is not through what we do, but through faith. Uh, Hebrews 10 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And all the great ones like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were all justified by faith. Only by believing in him. All right, but it's still through Christ. And, 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 but the language itself is what's startling to me because the language implies that God is at war with the world. When this says peace on earth, people say, oh, peace on earth. I don't see peace. People still kill one another. It's not talking about that. It's talking about peace on earth with some people and God, which implies that God is at war with all the people of earth until Jesus comes and then some of them make peace. That's what it means. Well, Who's at war with God? Who thinks they're at war with God? I, even before as a believer, I didn't say, God, I'm going to kill you. Let's fill this out in our map because it's an important concept from the scripture. God was or is at war with you. If you're a Christian, he's no longer. If you're not, he still is. And the whole world. God is holy and he makes war on all who do evil and all who sin. 
God, God doesn't take sin lightly. God isn't some friendly grandpa who goes, oh, that's okay. So you sin. What a nice guy anyway. Come on in. No, no. God is holy and sin is death itself. Sin is putrid. Sin is, 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 is decay. Sin is always abhorrent, evil, wicked to God. He made mankind in his image and he looks down and what does he see? Everyone's a sinner. Everyone's shaking his fist. Everyone dies because of sin and he's at war with that sin. He doesn't embrace any of it. But he sent a peace offering. Now, if you're in a war with God, can I tell you something? You're not going to win. <laughs> you won't win. I, 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 it's hard to be a boy in America and not get through life without a fight, or probably any country. I don't know why that is. Boys have to fight. You can't get through 12th grade without fighting somebody. And I've had to be in a few fights, and most of them I don't mind because the other guy's about my size, or I can beat him up. Those fights are okay, but there's always that one guy you don't want to fight. Like the guy in the eighth grade with a beard. <laughs> the one who's not good at math. You're like, are you still in eighth grade? How long have you been here? If that guy wants to fight me, I think this is not a time to man up. I need a peace delegation, right? I'm going to go to him with peace. I have come to make peace, oh, Harry, eighth grader. <laughs> what have you to offer? I will let you cheat on my math test, so maybe you can make it to the ninth grade. Well, no, you should flunk so you don't terrorize me next year. You see, if, you, if you're going to war with someone and their army is ten times larger, you're wise if you send a peace delegation. This is what Jesus taught, by the way. If you're at war with God, you can't send a peace delegation. What have you got to offer him? He doesn't need anything you have. But at Christmas, he made the offering. Let's fill in another map line. Ready? How then can peace be made with God? By way of the baby that's in the manger. You see, the Savior isn't just a great king and hero. He's a peacemaker. How does he make peace? His offering to God is his own innocent life. Listen. Given to God, saying, put your anger on me. Put all your anger at sin that these people did on me. And then I offer that to you, and they make peace. And this offering will be enough, and that pleases God. And all who believe in Jesus have peace with God. There's no other way to find peace with God. You can be a Muslim and do the five pillars. You can be a Buddhist and sit cross-legged on the floor going home until everything becomes an illusion. There's no way to peace with God except through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He's the peacemaker. This is the gospel of mega joy. This is the great news. You can live forever. You can have your sins taken away. You can have peace with God. Because this day in the city of David was born unto us a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Let's uh, jump back in. The angels hear that message. Verse 15. When, or the, excuse me, the angels tell that message. The shepherds hear it. Verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, well, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. You know, That was the freakiest thing I ever saw. Yeah, me too. It's the most important thing I ever saw. Me too. Well, let's go tell people. 
And where did they go? They went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. We don't know what that looked like. Did the angel give them more instruction than we have recorded here? Maybe. <laughs> they didn't. They, did. <laughs> they, they could have followed the drummer boy, the three wise men, and the star. <laughs> but the star won't be there for two years. The three wise men won't be there for two years. And thank God there was no drummer boy. I, 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 I know I bring that up a lot, but you can't get over what? Who made up that story, right? <laughs> what? I know what to give the sleeping baby. What? I'll come in the nursery and beat on a drum. This is when Joseph beats on a kid. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Joseph wouldn't beat a kid. That was just a joke. How do they find the house, really? We don't know. We don't know. I think the angel might have told him more. We don't know. But the, the sign that they were in the right place was the manger. That's the third time the manger is mentioned. It's mentioned that Jesus was laid in a manger. The angel said the sign will be a manger. And then they found the baby in a manger. When they saw it, so you can imagine this. They knock on a door. It's probably in a house or, yeah, in a house or in a cave connected to a house. It's still a house you're going to go through. And and they knock on the door and say, hey, um, we're your local sweaty, smelly uh, shepherds. And have you got a baby in a goat food bowl? They're like, this is the freakiest thing. Who are these guys? I don't know. But they knew about the baby in the goat food bowl. How did you know about the baby in the goat food bowl? Are you ready for this? You're not going to believe it. But there was an angel. He shows up. We're doing the sheep thing. And they tell the whole story. And all of them, you're lying. What are you drinking? You know. But no, all of them say, no, it really happened. How else would we know there was a baby in the goat food bowl? You got a point there. And, And the people, look, look, look what it says. It says, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. Made known to who? If we take the westernized story of Christmas, it's just Mary and Joseph. No one else is there. And a cow. But it says, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds saw. And the family was there. The, the cousins were there. And they all were there. And they heard it and said, wow, this is weird. Do you believe them? I don't know if I believe them. I think they're drinking. But somehow... You know, they're all amazed. They wondered. It doesn't even say they're amazed. They wondered. They're like, what's these shepherds talking about? Then the Bible says, but Mary treasured up all these things. Most likely, Mary is the source of this story. Most likely, Mary, she's the eyewitness who told Luke about these angels who told about these shepherds. And the Holy Spirit attended to it to make sure it was true. And she remembered this. She she put it in that lock box in her heart where she had her own experience with an angel. And Joseph's experience in the angel with a, with a dream, in a dream. And, and Elizabeth, her cousin's experience with the baby. She put it all together and she's like, I'm gonna figure this out. This, this is something. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they'd heard and seen. It was the best night in the world to be a shepherd. They left happy and they praised God. Well, I wanna close out this sermon asking and answering a question if I can answer it, I'm going to try. Why the shepherds? Luke is, Luke is focusing us on the shepherds in this. Why did God focus us on the shepherds? Why did God send the angels to the shepherds? Why not the local rabbi? Phil Epstein, he's a good rabbi. He's going to get to heaven and say, why didn't you tell me? He's born in my town. I don't know this. I'm the rabbi. I should tell the people, gather them together, the Savior, he's born. He talks like Shecky Green because he's a Brooklyn Jew. Just, that's okay, though. You need to learn a good Jewish Brooklyn accent because that's how they talk in heaven because God's a Jew. 
sort of. <laughs> Why didn't he alert the high priest? Why didn't God go to the high priest, the one who offers the Passover lamb and the holiest of holies, and say, your people, Savior, is here. You think that, seriously, that should be the guy. Imagine you're the secretary in heaven and the angel says, we have our orders. What are they? We need to make a birth announcement. Save the date. <laughs> you know, whatever. Birth announcement. Of what? The Savior. Secretary's like, I think we should contact the high priest. No. Local rabbi? No. The guy who runs the 7-Eleven? No. Who? The shepherds. You mean the smelly shepherds? Is there another kind of shepherd? So, <laughs> why... Why these shepherds? Why these minimum wage workers on a hill? You know, I'm not sure, because the Bible doesn't say exactly, but there's two things I know about God from the Bible that I think give us a clue. One, God is no respecter of persons. I say, why not the shepherds? (laughs) Or I say, why the shepherds? And God says, why not? Why would you do shepherds, God? What do you got against shepherds, Mike? Good point, God. (laughs) Shepherds aren't very important. How important are you? Think about that. How important are you? Human beings keep an eye on who's most important. Fame is about who's most important. Getting as many followers on Twitter or Instagram is about who's the most important. (laughs) How many friends you have on Facebook is about who's the most important. You know, in in, in school, there's the popular kids, and then there's the not-so-important In business, there's the people who come into your store with no money, and then there's the important. Right? In families, everybody knows who's the most important. It's a big deal to be important among human beings. But you know what? None of it makes you important to God. You can be the most important people, among the most important people on the earth. You can know athletes and presidents and billionaires, and they can all love you. Everybody loves me. Look at me. Everybody loves me. They made me president. You could be the most important person in the world. It doesn't get you anywhere with God. You know what it's like to think you're important and then you realize God's no respecter of persons? It's like graduation from high school. Remember that? I wasn't popular in high school. Were you? Some of you were. And that's good. I like popular people. They're normally prettier and richer or at least prettier. And and I like popular people, but I wasn't that guy. But you know what I found out? The day after high school graduation, somebody hit a reset button and none of it mattered. That nerd that everybody picked on went to Penn State, became an engineer, and has a great big house today. And and that one popular guy just got fat and he's sitting down at the bar sucking suds talking about, wasn't I amazing? And he's bald and he's got a sore right here and nobody really cares about him. Well, that's what it's like if you think God's impressed with how important you are. He has his own system of importance. Why the shepherds, God? Why not the shepherds? God loves us all the same. He loves us all the same. And the second reason it occurs to me that I think he might have sent the angels to the shepherds is God is a shepherd. They're in his union (laughs) hall. Um, Jesus Jesus didn't come to earth and say, I am the good plumber. (laughs) I am the good engineer. I am the good scientist. He said, I am the good shepherd. Which makes us the smelly sheep, the helpless beasts that wander into trouble and don't see it, who need to be fed and taken care of and led. Psalm 23, David says of God, 
of Jesus. The Lord is my shepherd. He looks after me. He feeds me. He makes sure I go where he protects me from bad guys. All God's biggest big shots, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Jacob's 12 sons, shepherds, Moses, shepherd, David, shepherd. God has a thing for people who care for helpless beasts and protect them. And I think it's because they reflect the way God loves me and you. One more place to fill in in our map. Jesus said he is the good shepherd because he lays his life down for his sheep. He says hired hands will run. And you bet I would run if, if a bear or a bunch of bad guys with knives or a lion comes to eat my, the sheep that I'm watching and I'm getting paid $1.95 an hour. See ya! But if I'm a sheep, <laughs> I look back in the hired hands hightailing it out of there. I'm too dumb to know I'm in danger and a lion eats my head off. It really stinks to be me. But I look up and I don't have a hired hand. I have a good shepherd who says, your fate is my fate. You won't die unless I'm dead. And he puts himself between me and the lion. It's good to have him as your shepherd. In this case, Christian, Jesus put himself between you and the ravages of sin and death and punishment and hell. And he rose from the dead. Pink Floyd once asked, tell me true, tell me why did Jesus have to die? Well, Pink, I'll tell you, because he's good like that, Pink. If his sheep are in danger, he lays down his life. I was at war with God. You were at war with God. Jesus bought our freedom at great cost. He laid down his life, he took it up again, and he continues to care for us every day. I've been through a lot of ups and downs in my life. I've been through good times and bad times. I've been at times when I've been tempted and at times when I feel like there is no temptation. Times when I should have died or should have done bad. And always the invisible hand of the Savior was protecting me and keeping me and guiding me. And I know when I get to heaven, I'll be like Fanny Crosby who said, Jesus led me all the way. And And really, this Christmas, that's what I want to say to you. Those lowly shepherds took care of sheep. (laughs) They were the most like Jesus. Firemen like to hang out with firemen. Cops with cops. Marines with Marines. Athletes with athletes. Rich people with rich people. Poor with poor. Dope smokers with dope smokers. People like to hang out with Others, they have something in common with. Well, who better to welcome Jesus than the shepherds? The ones willing to smell like the sheep that they serve, and that is the Son of God who's come to earth, got in the muck with us, got in with our mess, and rescued us. So this Christmas, I encourage you Christians to remember the good shepherd. Set aside your fears and your burdens, because no matter what you think is going on in your world, no matter what stressors are there, you're absolutely safe. Your good shepherd, he was there when you got saved, and he's there now. He's gotten you this far, right? He's not going anywhere. He will be with you until you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. This Christmas, be, I want you to be comforted and know you're loved by this great shepherd. Think on that and let Let the peace of Christmas come from that.
Not to know that you got the perfect presents for the kids and everything went right. Because not everything's going to go right. But because the good shepherd's got you. And if you don't know Christ yet as your Savior, you are in danger. <laughs> You're a sheep in danger. Uh, to take away the metaphor, you are at war with God in your sin. If you die in your sins, you will pay the greatest price. Or you can come to God, the lover of your soul. And he will shepherd you. Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. But tell your friends that. And let's rest knowing we're safe with the shepherd. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.